Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today I talk with Maddox Schuler of Fort Foundry. We talk about designing fonts, creating board games, how he'd like to license fonts, and more, all right after this. Are you ready for an adventure? Then get your Creative South Adventure ticket today. This is the ticket for you. It's a full day of adventure that includes catered breakfast of the National Infantry Museum with a tour following, a bike tour down the river walk on the Chattahoochee, catered lunch at the Civil War Naval Museum with a tour after that, finishing your bike ride at the zip line that crosses over the river to the high ropes course, whitewater rafting down the largest urban whitewater course in the world, ending with a wild game dinner at Epic with s'mores by, a fi- by fire on an island. That's all Tuesday, April 4th. This also includes an invite to the VIP dinner Wednesday night, as well as everything that comes with the regular ticket. A full vacation and an adventure in one day. Are you ready? We've gone through and streamlined the Creative South Podcast Patreon page, cleaning out the excess and making it easier for you to support us. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South Podcast swag. Every dollar helps cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else, Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast and become a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Thanks for uh, joining me this evening. Thank you so much for having me. So let's uh, let's dive into the early years and uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, which Creative South is also mm-hmm. there, which is awesome to see something like that in my hometown um, coming about. Because when I was growing up there, I just I wasn't in tune with design at all back then, um, except for like making websites for my band and things like that. But for the most <laughs> part, I wasn't connected with designers. Just didn't see a design scene, or most like even like the food scene has grown a ton there. And I just think that it's cool to see uh, stuff like that happening. Mm-hmm. So you said you were in a band growing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know those emo days. <laughs> no, we were like <laughs> uh, rock indie esque, I guess. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Was in a band, and that was where I started to learn design was through uh, needing to do a website and make band t-shirts and things like that um, in high school. So you, you got volunteered to do all that stuff for your band, essentially? Yeah, or yeah. Did you volunteer well, it was a friend and I. Luckily, he was uh, super smart on it, too. Basically, we would just you know inspect elements of websites and see how people were building stuff because other bands in the area were making these sweet websites, and that was basically how we started to learn web design was just like inspecting mm-hmm. elements like we weren't taking classes we should have for sure but um, a lot of copy and pasting of yeah, code and figuring all that stuff out so um and a lot of flash which was unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> i never got good at flat good enough at flash where i would publish anything yeah. so <laughs> ours was terrible we still published it though <laughs> along with the songs so so you're going through high school and all building out uh websites playing in bands and all um, where'd you end up going to college? Yeah. So I went to UGA, University of Georgia here in Athens where I now reside. Um, but I 
definitely did not think of it um, pursuing it uh, art career or design career or anything like that. And when I went to Athens, it was more like, hey, this is a great deal because of the Hope Scholarship. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm still figuring out things. And so where I ended up with that was like uh, I did a marketing degree along with a religion minor. Uh, and so I took a few like new media courses is what they called it here, um, which was the like designing type stuff, some illustrator, sure. some, some things like that, that they kind of taught you, but I did not do the design program, which, um, if I could have gone back, I wish I would have taken more classes. I don't, I, I am thankful for the stuff that I've learned through my program for sure that I did, but I think I would have learned, love to learn more like of the, um, design the foundations thing. of design and things like that. Yeah. Sure. So going through school, you're doing marketing in a religion minor. Yeah. You know, at what point obviously you've done websites and stuff for your bands in high school and all that but at what point do you start thinking hey you know the marketing isn't what i want to do i want to start doing something else uh yeah that was about probably like senior year maybe it was just i was doing it to have like (laughs) just when it was way too late (laughs) yeah i mean it had some things that were interesting like the branding elements and aspects of it but it was much more like marketing your brand which i still feel like i'm learning how to do and a lot of it is just trial and error and figuring out what works but um so there were some pieces of it that were like okay this is gonna be good um for sure but at the same time like uh Sorry, we live by, or my office is right by a train uh, track, so <laughs> if that's kind of loud in here, I apologize in any way, but um, they have to honk their horn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the marketing piece of it, I would say I was doing design then, like, again, still made t-shirts for friends throughout college, and so it was this mm-hmm. thing that was still in the background that I really enjoyed doing. Um, but another a piece that was uh, interesting to me was that religion minor, and so... Uh, that became more and more of the, like I threw that on, I think probably like midway through junior year that I really wanted to do it and finish it up and possibly go to either like a theological school, uh, a seminary or something like that. And so that was what I was thinking more of in terms when I left school of like, okay, what's, what's next for me? I like playing music, maybe, um, you know, a role in a church in some way that way or doing like a seminary type thing. And so I moved out to Seattle, Washington to work at a mm-hmm. church out there called Mars Hill church. Um, and, uh, was just interning at first and they have a theological program. That's like a year accreditation with seminary. Sure. And so I was like, that, that'd be cool. That's like a good tester to see if this is the right fit. Um, and so I started interning there, um, under the worship department doing music more stuff, but like, uh, they, they have some websites that they would publish daily articles on and they had all this cool design that was coming out of there. Um, Patrick Mahoney, Matt Naylor, these guys were making some great stuff. And so like I came into there and was like, hey, can I like volunteer? And they were like, no, no, not, not happening. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I mean, cause I didn't have the chops at all. Uh, and sure. then, so I just started making stuff, um, for the local church that I was at the campus cause it's a campus model. And then it got back to them and they're like, what is going on here? This is total like brain heresy the stuff that you're making. If you are going to make this stuff, then I guess we'll just take you under our wing and, you know, uh, give you some pointers and things like that. Um, and a position, uh, content style position that was like my marketing major kind of tied into it, but it was basically overseeing the content that was going out through, uh, 
their different websites like the resurgence and marshill.com um that, so i was in charge of that um and, and working with authors to get articles and then doing the design that would go alongside each of those articles which was very focused on typography because like uh sure. you know the titles and things like that and making um certain elements just come alive uh and so we we always wanted a, an article to have a cool piece of uh, a header design or a cool type or things like that and so that was mm-hmm. where i was just doing that day in and day out we were releasing probably like two articles a day um and just doing headers for them working with authors doing the content so as i was saying earlier uh offline but just the content marketing schedule i know how that goes of trying to fit <laughs> content in and making it all work and all that good stuff so sure so you're you're building out these newsletters you're getting a feel for how design is supposed to work yep um ver- versus the the lovely flash sites that you, we were talking about <laughs> right. before right um <laughs> You know, and, and and building out those headers and all, at what point does type start to click for you? Um, I would say, like, I always loved, type has always been a thing, even when it was back in, like, when I was making stuff for the band, it was like, let me kind of find a cool font on Defont that's, you know, like, that I can make work, and those are Well, that's terrible, just, you know? those are two things that generally don't happen. Yeah, um, cool exactly. Font and the font. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. where we all start somewhere. Um, but that was basically like I really started to love finding these the type that would communicate um, the message that was alongside it. Because like with the band, it was obviously, you know, we're a certain style. And so finding letter forms that fit that style, I mean, that, that, that was something that I was looking for. And then with the articles, you're finding letter forms that really speak to um, the content of the article, like the, like some some I can't remember what the quote was or who said it, but it was basically like, hey, uh, typefaces are basically just letter forms with clothes on, like they're gonna be you know portraying a certain style, um, and so that like a serif or a certain serif style is gonna feel like a certain vibe versus um, you know your laid back, more rounded all around typeface uh, is gonna feel way different than a more chic uh, with a high contrast, um, you know, very thick verticals and very thin horizontals is going to feel fashion-y, you know. And so there's just that idea of this um, that type communicates even before the person is reading a word was really intriguing to me as I started making these articles and figuring out um, how can I lay out the type in a way that, uh, you know, maybe emphasizes a point or how can I uh, find the right typeface for the job too is, is always a fun thing and so um i would say i been, went a little too crazy for sure at first of like just like every typeface was different oh this one's cool this one you know and like um so i was way excited in that way and i right. think we more and more refined it down to like uh a few faces that worked really well with with our brand and so yeah gotcha well that's an interesting way to describe it as you know that the font is type or how did you say it, it was letter forms are, are letter, letter forms, forms with clothes on um that they yeah. they're portraying a certain style or vibe cuz i i mean i've never looked at it that way but i'm i guess intuitively have known that for um, just working with stuff that you know different fonts give different feels and you know you don't want to use everybody's favorite comic sans to pick on <laughs> um you know you don't want to use that for this you know formal business letter um that well you don't want to use it period let's just <laughs> right, right, right. Of course. avoid it <laughs> unless you're sending out something for a five-year-old don't use comics <laughs> because then a five-year-old can read comics <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so those different those different typefaces that yeah i guess i'd never that that's a great way to describe it 
Yeah, I really, either way, I, I would totally quote whoever it was, but I, I can't remember right now, so I feel terrible. <laughs> well, forgotten person, we thank, thank you. Thank you, yes. Because you know you're listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're doing all this stuff. Where do you go from there? Yeah, so I spent three years there working um, in Seattle. Seattle was an awesome place. Uh, love it out there. Uh, and so we, uh, my wife and I, um, lived out there. And for those three years, part of it was that whole content stuff. But the other like half of that job was that basically I saw that as my like boot camp training. Like here's how mm-hmm. design works from the design team at uh, Mars Hill. Um, those guys I was saying who are awesome, Patrick and, and Matt. Um, Dylan was another one of them, Dylan Moss. And so they they really poured into me and, and treated me super well and kind of coached me through things, helped me see uh, like certain uh things that I just never even thought about, um, when it comes to design, um, margins, like I would always love to throw things to the edge of the market. And for some reason it's like (laughs) margins are a beautiful thing, you know, like, uh, and so there's all these just little things that I had to learn along the way that they really taught me well. Um, and so from that, like, uh, I, I started to, again, was using fonts all the time and I started to see designers, um, starting to make fonts. And so like lost type and those guys, um, they're, they're designers that were putting out typefaces and that was something that just like had never occurred to me of like, Hey, why don't you make a font? You know, like it was always like, Oh, I love using them. Um, and finally, I mean, you might make custom lettering for a certain project, but it no, it was never like, man, that just seems like so far of a far away of a thing to make a typeface, put all these letter forms together. How do you make it work? Type it out, you know, all that stuff. And so I, uh, I've, I started seeing designers do that. So I was like, maybe I could do that too. Um, and so I downloaded the cheapest program, which turned out to be one of the best, uh, was Glyphs Mini. So the mini version is like, we can get into some super nerdy stuff here, but the mini version is basically like... I'm if still you, trying to figure out the full version. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the mini is like, hey, if you want to create one style of one face, like, and you don't need all the bells and whistles of a full family, this thing is great for it. And so... Uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and, and so I started to work within there and figure out the program and it was pretty intuitive, like crossing over from illustrator. There were certain things that was like, okay. So at first I was building everything in illustrator and then pasting it in. Cause you can do that with glyphs. You just have to adjust a lot of things. And the more and more I worked within the program, I was like, man, I would rather use this over illustrator for the, the, the types of vectoring, um, that was going on there. And so, uh, mm-hmm. more and more, I felt more comfortable there and um, started to design in there. And I was just releasing my few first faces uh, for free. I didn't. I knew I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like a type designer's worst nightmare. Like a dude who kind of knew about graphic design, learned some from some guys who knew <laughs> stuff, and then is like, let me make typefaces now. Like, uh, so <laughs> I was giving them away for free because I knew I was, I was kind of like figuring things out. But uh, one, some of them um, started gaining some popularity. One of those first ones was Moonshiner. I just released it as a dribble post and put the font file attached with it. Um, it was just uppercase mm-hmm. letter forms and numbers and was like, hey, here you go, world. And then it started getting picked up more and more uh, like by blogs and different um, places online that were linking to it. And that really, I think, started to get it out there and made me think it got my name out there too. Cause that was like where people started following me from that. I think they saw, Oh, if he's doing free stuff, I want to follow him if I like that sort of style. <laughs> and so, uh, people love free fonts. They do. They do. Um, and so 
uh, I was like, man, if there's so much a demand for this, maybe I should think about making a professional version, uh, put the time into it to, to like charge money for it. Um, you know, the type, put the, the skill, the, the glyphs, everything needed. Um, so like when you're selling a commercial typeface, uh, especially through sites, distributors, they usually have like a benchmark of like, Hey, you need to have these files, uh, or these letter forms, um, these diacritics, that means like accented letter forms so that it covers this array of languages. Um, you need to have these symbols and, uh, characters and all this stuff. And it usually comes out to being probably around like 200 plus glyphs minimum. So people will totally put in more, which is awesome because there's now all these features that you can add in, but like usually 200 glyphs minimum is, is what's needed to create a commercial typeface for sale. Um, that has all the necessary things so that um, most Latin-based uh, languages can use the typeface, you know, type out words, um, and it has the proper accenting and things like that over over things. And so I did that, and it took a long time, and I had no clue what I was doing, and it took way longer because I had no clue what I was doing. Like, there are so many shortcuts <laughs> that I know now that would save me so much time back then. But uh, I released, I turned Moonshiner into Bourbon and put it on my fonts, and uh, that that felt. Oh, I think it was actually first Creative Market because MyFonts has like a review that you go through. And so I released it on Creative Market, then went through MyFonts review and released it there and made an update to the one on Creative Market so that it had all the new stuff that it needed. Um, but basically, sure. started to see it again. It gained popularity. Like there's hot new fonts lists and things like that where it started appearing on that. And. Uh, mm-hmm started riffing on that genre and was, I don't know, <laughs> ridiculous. I was burning the midnight oil cause I'm still working at that point. Um, and just releasing typefaces, uh, <laughs> like every month or so, which was a bit ridiculous. Um, but I was like loving it. I was like, I can't believe this, you know, like I can just type letters and they come out as, you know, an actual word and things that I've designed was like the best feeling ever. At first. <laughs> uh, and so it started to like bring in more money than my day job. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. I did not expect people bought this many fonts. Like it, it blew my mind. And so, um, that was like three months in to making to after releasing that first one for, for sale. And, uh, I was like, man, if I could do this for a living, it would be awesome. And some crazy things were happening at that church <laughs> then. Um, I don't know if you know of anything about that, but, uh, no, yeah, good. That's, <laughs> that's for the better. Um, but basically, uh, it was, it was a good time, um, to transition away from there. And, uh, and we were also pregnant at the time. And so we were feeling like we wanted to be closer to family. And so mm-hmm. we moved back south um, from Seattle after those three years to move. And when we moved back, we were like, where do we want to be? Uh, Athens seems like an awesome place. We were there in college, but uh, it's just a great little town, man. I love this place. Uh, and cost of living there is pretty great. And so I was like, well, if I'm starting my own thing that I can do from anywhere, why not like at least go for it. So I was looking at a few different agencies, um, after transitioning from, uh, away from Seattle and that role at Marshall and was like, sure. huh, do I want to go to the agency route or do I just feel like I should go for it? So it'd been probably like seven or eight months at that time after. So I had like some revenue stream of like, okay, I can base some consistency of like, if I do this, hopefully it will yield that, but there's nothing ever promised with, with selling your own stuff. So I was right. obviously a little like worried and whatnot. And, uh, Went for it though, and um, Athens seemed like a great place to do it. And uh, yeah, so uh, that was when I made, I think Holdfast Foundry was technically the name that I went under for those first um, few months and whatnot. And then um, went to move into calling it Fort Foundry when I kind of like 
went for full time and it felt more right to like what I wanted to stand for and whatnot. So, um, and why did you pick Fort? Fort is this idea of like, as a kid, I loved building forts. Um, I think lots of kids do exactly. Um, and it was this idea of like the wonder and awe that you, you get from that creativity and what you kind of discover in there. And I don't want to lose that as in, in the things that I make. And so it's this idea of like, continue to build, um, whatever forts they are for you. But that was, um, this idea behind fort for me is this idea where I can just, and at first, I mean, right now it's like totally typefaces. Um, I've dabbled in some like just fun stuff with uh, merch, you know, posters, T-shirts and uh, enamel pins and all that good stuff um, just to mm-hmm. have for fun. But like the the focus of Ford is definitely typefaces for me. Um, and then board games was another recently a recent thing. Um, I made a board game recently and that I it was at first falling under Ford, but now... Uh, Keymaster Games is basically the the thing that I'm working with a friend on. Uh, his name's Kyle Key, and uh, that's, well, so, uh, since you brought it up, let's talk about that board game a yeah, little bit. Board games, <laughs> and and how it came about. It's called Control, right? Correct, Control. Um, it's basically the same story as Type. I feel like uh, it was like, <laughs> man, I love board games. Seattle has an awesome board game scene, uh, which was really cool. And that I feel like there's things called gateway games, and we want to live in that genre. The games that I make, I want it to be there. They're more for casual gamers or people who maybe don't even game, maybe grew up playing Monopoly or things like that. So there are these gateways into the deeper world of games, and they're they would be called like lighter games, light to medium weight. Like they're not gonna take you know, two to three hours of your night, it might be more like 30 to 45 minutes, um, sure. things like that. And so like, I was, I love playing games and love doing game night like that. And Kyle had made a game. Um, we had met him in Athens, uh, cause a friend in Seattle knew him and was like, Hey, you're moving to Athens. You should meet this guy. And so, um, we did, Kyle actually went to the first creative South or maybe not the first, maybe it was, it was the one where it was in the loft. Um, okay. and so, uh, he, uh, I was like, oh man, yeah, cool. Dudes in design and things like that. And, uh, I had seen, I think some pictures from that time. Cause I was like, I was still in Seattle when that creative South was happening. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to be there. And Mike totally was super nice. I was like, dude, I'll give you a ticket. Just fly down. But timing wise and everything else was going on then. Um, sure. Just fly down, you know, just fly down <laughs> from Seattle. Uh, but yeah. So, um, I got to meet Kyle. Kyle likes games too. He's an illustrator and, uh, he had made a game and I was like, what people make games, game design, like, like his most board games, um, it's changing, which is cool, but you didn't have that thought about fonts, but <laughs> I didn't have the font of uh, that thought about board games either until I met someone who made a designer who okay. made a board game and it was like, Oh my gosh, people make games. This would be so much fun to do. Um, because most of the time the design, uh, and, and that was like the, the fuel behind fonts was like, Oh man, there, there are styles that I feel like I would love to do that I would hope fill a need in the, in the world of type and same with board games. It's like, man, there are things that I would love to do that I think could fill a need, but also like art wise, I want the board game stuff to be just as much of this like art, uh, you know, project as much as a like game mechanic that's working really well, um, in a board game. And so like, cause there's a lot of games, more the Euro games. So Euro are more games that are, uh, basically very strategy heavy, less theme heavy. <laughs> Whereas Ameritrash is the other genre, which is like <laughs> high theme, maybe high luck. Uh, that's, that's getting more and more blended. Uh, but a lot of games just trying to say like theme wise, the art isn't always, uh, up to par 
in my design eye. And so I've um, seen some pretty horrible. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's changing, which is cool. Like a lot of the, the companies are hiring out some pretty great design and stuff. But um, that was one of the things that drew me into of like, man, I want to do a really well designed game um, that would be fun to play. And so mm-hmm. uh, I started making one game that will be uh, kickstarted in um, February of 2017. And that that game though was terrible. Like I started making it just like with my fonts. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know foundations to stand upon. I didn't know anything. <laughs> and uh, like was playing it. And of course your friends will be like, yeah, this is fun. This is good. And then you take it to people you don't know and they have like the worst time playing it and are on their phones and you're like, man, this is a terrible game. And so there are definitely <laughs> some ups and downs as a game designer. Um, so that was the first game that I was trying to start to make. And I was like, man, that was more of a longer game, like a 30 minute game. Whereas sure. Control is a more quick game and I was like I need to like dial it down and do what are called micro games and maybe just start there and then try to do something more involved and so control is this uh like five to ten minute round game where it's based um on an old card game that used a 52 card deck and that was that was a helpful starting place too um but basically all the cards have abilities um and you're trying to figure out, do I play this card for points or do I play it for its ability? And how do I stop other people from getting to the goal before I reach it? And should I use this card to stop them or, you know, move forward mm-hmm. and, and things like that? And so uh, that we started playtesting that and um, it, it was a lot quicker, which was great because it's a smaller game and it's easy to playtest a five minute game. Um, and we were able to refine that to the Kickstarter in February of this year, 2016. And uh, then it kind of like took off and blew up. I think part of that was like people were really interested in the design, the look of the game. Um, it was uh, like a sci-fi style, but there's some like mono weight um, line work. If if there mm-hmm. is like things on, I have it here actually um, that has like... Yeah, I wish people could see it. It's yes. <laughs> beautiful cover. Um, but I think that attracted people. So we kind of saw some designers getting draw, drawn in from that, but also the simplicity of the game, I think really helped sell it. And it, we were not expecting it to do what it did, but we were trying to raise $7,000, which is so different. Like learning that from, uh, the world of type is like, Oh, that's all digital. I just deliver it through you through the interwebs. (laughs) Whereas this is like, Oh man, we need to get like manufacturing costs and get quotes, um, from factories and, What's the minimum order? How do we freight this over to the U.S. from China? How do we do all this other stuff, too, which was just nuts. <laughs> A lot of logistics. Um, for sure. Um, but it was really cool. Like, the feeling that I get from that, you know, is totally different than something like having this in hand. Is, it feels so great. And that's um, something that I think we can miss in the whole digital realm of things. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't hold my typefaces. And so that's that's been so cool to have this, like... <laughs> whole experience um, bundled up in one package. And uh, so we were trying to raise $7,000. It ended up raising like 73000 which was which blew wow. our minds and said, okay, like this was just a fun side hobby. Maybe I should, you know, spend some more time here and there on games along with fonts. Um, I mean, fonts are still my like main priority. I would want to do that like, you know, 80% of the time, but maybe spending 20% on games here and there. Um, would be a lot of fun. It's it's just a ton of fun. Um, I mean, if you're raising seventy three grand on uh, Kickstarter, then obviously there's a, a pretty vast want for what yeah, yeah. So that's been crazy. That's been um, really cool to see, and people have been super gracious um, and been reviewing it lately. We actually just sold out of our first run 
So we like, we're just <laughs> learning along the way too. We're totally, you know, green, new to this. Let, and it's like, let me know when that second run is up and I'll yeah, copy. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's the other thing is like, okay, we sold out. We actually have to wait another three months for it to get like, for it to get made and then packaged and shipped over, which, sure. uh, yeah. So, it's, so it's how a, are you going about distributing the game? I mean, has it just been all of your Kickstarter sales has pretty much been what it is or oh, no, you... like Kickstarter was, uh, like, so basically 3,600 people uh, pre-ordered the game. That's people through Kickstarter and the site. And then um, wow. sales after that, like we were figuring out the board game world. And one of the things um, we just entered too late into like the distribution realm of things of like signing with the distributor who would then mm-hmm. they'd buy like thousands of copies of your game. Um, hopefully, maybe just a thousand um, but they would then so. distribute that to stores, you know, so like um, you're selling it to them at a super discounted rate, 60% off. Then they sell it to stores for 50%. And uh, we were just too late to the game because they were like, oh, man, the hotness of the Kickstarter. Like we would have wanted to get it in before um, you delivered your games to people. And we hadn't delivered them at that point, but they just wanted to be at a place where they were like preceding it. And we just weren't comfortable with going that route at that time. And, uh, so it's just on Amazon, which, um, has been great. Like it's been crazy. We haven't done any sort of marketing or anything like that. And it's been selling like crazy on there. I think part of that is reviews. People will post blogs, um, board game geek, people write about it on there. And, uh, we're only doing Amazon. We have some local places in town. We're happy to sell to like game stores. We want to support game stores, no doubt. Um, but they just don't know about us cause they like distributors, they're looking to them, most of the time to find games, but they're welcome to like email us to get their games, you know, to buy games, um, at a game, game stores discount price. But like, uh, that's just something that we're running into. But at the same time, Amazon has been, um, been working great for us and that's what's sold us out of our run. So like, sure. Yeah. So 3,600 people through the Kickstarter pre-ordered it. Yep. And then how much additional run did you have after that, that, yeah, so we did 5,000 um, games, oh, okay. which has been like, we didn't know what we were doing at first. And we're like, we'll just, sure. you know, when we want to do a small game to learn, uh, like, and I think with a typeface or anything like that, you know, start small, like, so that you can learn the things along the way. Don't have this huge idea for this huge, massive family. Maybe it would get there one day, but really start small in what you're making. Um, cause like you're able to learn a lot of the tricks along the way. And that was what we wanted to do with control. And we even, I think we definitely went cautious with our pre-order or with our mass order. Um, cause they say like two to three times is like a good aggressive approach, um, your pre-order amount. And so that would have sure. been more around like seven to 10,000 games. Um, if we, if we went that route, we did not read that at before that time though, cause we were just guessing. <laughs> so, uh, we hadn't talked to the people. I was about to say, or, you didn't double your number there, yeah, Maddox. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we were just like, this seems okay. And it'll, if we sell out awesome, but, but we were just, we were figuring things out. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's where things are at now. So do you think for future runs of the game that you'll try to reach out to a distributor and work with them? Or do you think you're going to keep trying to do it the way that you have been? Um, I mean, we'd be happy to talk to distributors um, about it. The thing is they might feel like they've missed out on the hotness now, but on future games, they might be more interested in them is what we're finding. So we'll see. Um, I don't know. Like the Amazon route has been great because um, you make the most money there basically (laughs) Uh, because, which is weird. Like I wouldn't You're selling direct. You're selling direct and you don't have any hassle of like the whole, 
like Amazon does customer service, packs it, you know, and they take a cut and that's been, um, pretty great and really simple. Like it takes a lot of the headache out of it. Um, and so, I mean, with a distributor, you just sell them a ton of copies and they would do everything from there, but yeah, they do um, all the fulfillment. Exactly. We were just making it a whole lot less per game. Um, so, and that's, and and that's where the board game genres or world of things is actually getting mixed up. Like, uh, because there's like a ton of middlemen and some people are like, Hey, like the cards against humanity, you know, team secret Hitler, those guys are like more of that direct to consumer philosophy, which that's exactly what I was asking. And sorry to interrupt. No, that's not, you know, cause they've got their own distribution channel where they distribute indie games and they only take, they only take a distribution cut. They don't take like, you know, it's up to you to order the stuff. Yeah. They just do fulfillment and distribution. I know, um, do you know Andy Hunt with Necronomic Cards? Yes, yeah, I saw that on Kickstarter. Yeah, so he's um Blacker Box is distributing his stuff. That's nice. Uh Black Box. Yep. Black Box. Yep. Blacker Box is the actual box that you can do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was at Target, I saw it too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, the bigger <laughs> Blacker Box. Humanity. It's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Um, yep. But yeah, so those guys are kind of shaking things up. It's cool to see that and um yeah, we'll see what happens with if we go more that route or like with the distributor route. What's good about that is you like the big name stores like Target, Walmart, they if you're able to get into certain distributors carrying your games, it's easier to get into those stores. Whereas you kind of have to make a name for yourself if you go like the self, you know, route of of direct. Um, whereas like sure. once you make a name for yourself and people, it's so hot that like Target and Walmart, okay, okay, we'll carry this, you know. Whereas the the avenue to that might be easier through a distributor, so it's yeah, just weighing the options that way. Cool. So, for people who aren't familiar with Control, give them kind of the background of what the game is. Yeah, this is gonna so sound super. We, we nerdy. talked about everything around it, but we didn't actually talk about what the game is. And yeah, I, I found it super interesting. So. Um, so in Control, you're a time traveler who's been caught in a rupture in time. Um, and every player is a different time traveler who's caught in the same rupture. And your goal is to refuel your time machine uh, first to make the jump out of the rupture because whoever escapes closes the rupture, leaving everyone else left outside time. Um, so, <laughs> you know, happy happy uh, Sunday. What is it? <laughs> Not too dark, you know. Uh, but no, uh, it's, a, it's a quick, fun game um, that... The strategy there it was like the mechanics that are going on is uh, hand management. You have a hand of cards that you're trying to weigh your options of like, should I play these cards first or these ones? Um, should I draw cards, get more cards to build up for a future push? Um, or do I use the cards right now to kind of shut people down? Um, and so like if, you know, ma- games like Magic the Gathering are awesome. Like I'll play Magic, mm-hmm. I'll play Netrunner, I'll play these like more like hardcore gamers games um but those take a while to learn and that was what i was trying to make with control was basically this like stripped down version that still had really interesting decision decisions being made along the way um of your strategies but less of this like man i gotta watch this like video that's two hours long just to understand the turn of play and what should happen in like this series of turn and then this part of the turn and then this part of the turn and all these things you know and so like well i know for me with games like a lot of a lot of card-based games and a lot of tabletop games that are not just are not quite the casual level. That's been the big barrier for me because I mean I got two little kids. So yeah, with finding with, time to play games with other adults is tough. Yep. 
Exactly. And so that was, that's basically why we wanted to make games. One was like make games that we want to play. Kyle's a dad. I'm a dad. We play with other dads in our dad gaming group and just finding games. <laughs> the time that you have, you know, one um, is sometimes short um, sure. and, and just yeah, finding that niche and even like games with um, my wife is like enjoys games like she will she will play them, but she's never like, you know, a gamer gamer like, oh, yeah, let's go game. Let's go do this or whatever. Sure. Um, but finding games even too that like that's one thing that I'm looking into of like, OK, maybe making two player games down the road that you could just enjoy with your significant other um, and and have instead of watching TV tonight, like let's play a board game. And I think you're just seeing this rise in board games in general because uh, one, things have moved so digitally that people aren't, you know, seeing each other face to face. Video games. People are feeling oversaturated. Yeah. Video games even have moved to like one player per, you know, screen versus like, you know, back in the day, let's do a party, you know, four, four split screen co-op mode. Oh, I hated or, those games. You know. I always sucked at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or doing a big LAN party. Like maybe that still happens sometimes, but I think it's just a lot easier with board games nowadays that to get guys together and play or get you know a group together and, and have some fun and so uh that's been really interesting to see because like there was a ted talk maybe four years ago that's like board games are gonna go down in flames because of where the digital world is moving like everything is you know getting converted there and it's the total opposite of having this gaming industry is booming because people are craving those experiences more and more i think and so and to have like these tactile things that you feel is so nice like Give me some good yeah. cardboard components. I'm I'm a happy man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I'm, you know, jokingly, I said it jokingly, but I did go to Target today, and the wall of games is, from a year ago, is twice the size. Yeah, it's it growing like crazy. And it's not just because it's Christmas. Yeah, and they're carrying great games, too, now. Like, in the past, it was more just, like, your typical monopolies and things that people grew up or heard of, you know, and now it's, like, these more niche gamers games, like Pandemic or Forbidden Island mm -hmm. or, like, all these different things are there. Settlers that, of Catan. Yeah, it's it's All just that been, stuff. And Cards Against Humanity, yeah. as we talked about. Yes. Which is where I got my copy of Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so... So kind of taking a hard left and getting back to type, you know, one of the yes. things that we talked about off air, and I, I, before we ran out of time, I wanted to talk about this, is how the hell do you make money off type? Because there's so many different licensing deals, right? and you've got so many sites like the font and things like that. Now, granted, and this isn't blowing smoke up your ass, but your fonts are a lot better than... <laughs> what you can find on Defont. So, you know, there's obviously the quality factor of, you know, designers are going to gravitate towards that where non-designers are going to gravitate towards Defont stuff. Yeah. But how does that work? Yeah. So, um, with, with type, I feel like, um, I'm, I'm relearning things. Uh, we'll get to that, I guess in a second, but just the way that it worked for me at first was, uh, you work with distributors. So places for me that worked were Creative Market, MyFonts, uh, you know, Fonts.com, Fontspring. There's all these different distributor sites that are great. And uh, mm -hmm. you you kind of have to apply to some of the more um, type-centric ones. Like with Creative Market, you can just upload your stuff and sell it. And I know a lot of guys do that and make um, good money that way um, for sure. But with MyFonts, you have to, you know, apply to their board and they review it. Um, and then they'll work with you if things need help, uh, certain accents are looking weird. They'll be like, Hey, can we do this or fix this? Which is really cool of them to spend the time um, to do that. But with them spending time and doing those sort of things, uh, they take a percentage. And so, uh, you know, creative market takes 30%, I believe maybe it's 35. Uh, and then my fonts takes, uh, 50% of every sale that I make. Um, and so, sure. 
with those numbers too, I was like, I don't know if I, and that was why when I was starting, I was like, I didn't expect to make much money. I was just doing it because I enjoyed it and I wanted to, I felt like I wanted to put this thing out. Um, and so with that, I couldn't believe the amount of people that those distributors brought into their sites. So that was like one of the big things of like, I had not done any marketing that what I did was like release, you know, stuff through dribble or share it through my channels. But that's like minuscule amounts of, of people, uh, who are seeing that like, it's not minuscule, but it's just really low compared to the following that these bigger places have. And if they share it versus several thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or tens of thousands. tens of thousands or even millions in some case. And so, um, wow. They're, uh, you know, they, they have that following. And, and so that's where that 50%, you know, taking that comes in. And it's like, it's almost like your marketing fee also along with, uh, along with what they're doing. They're doing customer support for you too. Like if people are having problems with faces that they're, they're kind of the middleman there. And so same, mm -hmm. similar things with board games. <laughs> I didn't really haven't made that connection, but, uh, so the, this middleman, uh, they're, they're, they're super great, but, uh, yeah, so they take that 50% and there's different ways of licensing things. And what you see a lot of times is people, when they release a typeface, they'll do an intro offer, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a certain percent off. And it's usually a ridiculous deal that people are like, I got to get this. And the reason why people do that is if, you know, it sells a ton, then it'll get up on these lists like hot new fonts. Um, or, sure. and, and that's totally like I do intro offers. The reason why I was about I, to say, um, didn't you do one with Termina? Yeah, I do. I do it with all my faces for sure, because I, I like to honor the people who are following me. And I see that as a way to like, um, when I put out something new, honor those people who are, you know, on my list, um, who are, are just following me through different places and they're the first to know about it and they can, they can get a good discount. If someone else finds me and gets that discount, that's awesome too. Um, but I, I, I like doing those, but what I, that's the only time I'll do something like that. Um, like those big discounts. Um, and, and I think that the, the problem that you'll see too is this race to the bottom that's kind of happening right now of like everybody mm -hmm. is discounting like crazy. Then you make these bundles that are super discounted like that. And, and so these typefaces are in a really, um, interesting place, I should say, I guess, uh, right now of like people trying to figure out what is actually a good pricing model. Um, what should be included in this pricing model? And, uh, you know, there's different licenses like desktop web and app. And then like, uh, how can I not just devalue the stuff that I sell and that people only buy it when I'm charging super low amounts for it. And so, sure. um, Cause you know, you think of apps, apps are like 99 cent. Um, some are the nicer ones are in the, like the $5 range. Um, maybe uh -huh. iPad apps that are really well constructed, um, are, are more expensive than that. But I, I don't know, like, uh, this, this whole world of digital I, with fonts being influenced by that, those things too, I think you're seeing, um, people are more likely or you'll get, so you're trying to weigh these methods of like, I can do a lot of quantity if I sell this for cheap. Um, but the quality here, like, is that compromising it by selling it for so cheap? And so you're trying to make these decisions as you're selling things with pricing sure. and, um, where designers, um, will buy. And usually it's in those, like the quick buy amounts are like the $19, 29 bucks. Uh, usually some like for a full family, people will be like, yep, on that boom, I'll buy it without even yeah. thinking about it. Um, when you hit the 49, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, me too. Um, when you hit the $49 range, like, um, HVD, he has such a good following. He's released, um, such, uh, like Brandon grotesque, which, you know, that's almost everywhere mm. now. Um, and, and he has this big following of people or just people who are familiar with him so that when he does a release, you know, he, he does the intro offer. He only does it then, but he does that 49 level, but it'll skyrocket to number one 
on hot new fonts like the next day, you know, um, just because people sure. know him um, and he's able to charge a little more. But uh, then you have people who never do anything like uh, Heffler and co. Um, those guys like release really quality typefaces, um, but they're never a, a discount affiliated with those. And so um, they, they're seen as like, you know, like when I'm buying this, though, I'm getting like a super good quality product. Yes, it is more expensive than, you know, most of the stuff out there. But sure, they're the Cadillac tier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, those are all the things that, and you, when you're making typefaces, you're kind of trying to figure out where, where do I fit into this world of things? Um, are my typefaces more fun and quirky? And so with display type, it's going to be, you know, like this is used for very specific uses or big sizes, you know, like I'm not trying to make a text typeface that would work really well in layouts and books, um, like for long form body copy, I might be just wanting to make these big letter forms with these like chunky serifs and like that's going to have a very specific niche um, sort of thing. And so uh, does a designer even need that in their arsenal? There are all these questions that you're asking and that's kind of determining yes. too the yes, type the designer of, does. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're trying to figure Sadly, out. Sadly, I have more display type faces than I do probably body copy. Well, I mean that their display definitely like sell, I feel like, um, or they're just more interesting. So they kind of like have more of that sexy appeal of the cell. And so you'll have more people being like, Oh, I'll get that right now. You know, like this is so much fun. And that's what I see yeah. on my faces. Like, um, the ones that are just more streamlined, like native termina, they, they did okay. Like in, in sales and whatnot, but it was more of those other ones that were, uh, had a bit more flair and, and, and style to them that, that really people will latch on to. Sure. So with the licensing, mm -hmm. how does that work? Because, you know, you've got your single user licensing. Yeah. And then you've got like multi-user licensing. And then you've got like for 5,000 or more licensing. And then you've got, yeah. you know, for the app and for the web and for yep. all this different stuff. How, how does that work or does it work? I don't think it works right now. I mean, people are, are subjected to use this system um, that's currently been set forth. Uh, and so it works in that sense, but I don't think that it's a smart or intuitive system. And so the way that it works, there's your base license, which is your desktop font. And if you buy that, um, you're buying per user most of the time. Sometimes it's per computer, uh, but per user. So like, let's say you and me are on a team um, and we're making, uh, making something, making a website and an app. This will be a good Thing. But we also need sure. t-shirts that we want to promote it with. So the desktop license, if we bought that, we'd be good to make t-shirts with it. You know, that would be about it. We can put it on a billboard. We could anything like static, you know, like fixed, um, we'd be fine to do. We'd even be fine to like put a fixed image in an app uh, or in a, on a website that's not live mm -hmm. type. It's not selectable. Um, and so anything that's fixed, you're kind of your desktop covers which is weird because um, like that, I don't know, that's just the way that things are. It's, it was more tailored towards print back in the day. And so those are more the fixed layouts, you know, sure. um, and you'd buy per, per user, you get a discount. The more users you buy, you buy in bulk, you know, you get a discount. So, mm. um, if we needed a hundred users, we wouldn't be paying a hundred times the normal price. Uh, then let's say, uh, to make our website, we, uh, we need web fonts. So those are fonts that are specifically made for the web, like OTFs, that's open type, that's an open type file is your desktop font that works with, mm -hmm. you know, your computer, same with TTFs, um, but open type is the new version and that's what people sure. will download and you can use in Photoshop and Illustrator and all the other places, Word, 
TFs, WOFFs, WFFs2s, EOT. These are file type endings that are for web fonts. And so the way that they're served up is a little different than just putting in the open type files. And so one, you need different files for it. But the main thing here is you really need the license to use it on the site. And so when you buy web fonts, you're buying a license that would say, hey, I can use this uh, for 10,000 page views um, is usually your base one. Some people have 100,000 as the base. Some people have unlimited page views as the base. Uh, but mm-hmm. for every 10, if you're getting 10,000 page views a month, you're paying this base price. Um, and who's keeping up uh, with how, you know, like it's kind of up to the buyer to be like, oh man, I'm now getting 10,001 page views a month. I should now go get that 20,000 page view a month. I was about license, to ask, you know? how, like, how does, um, it's kind of, how do you more, keep up with that? I think there are certain things that um, some places do that kind of like, kind of keep track of it but at the same time uh it's more on the buyer to be like oh uh, we are getting more page views now i guess we should up that web font license which i've <laughs> never seen happen um but um that's that's kind of the case on that end of things but let's just say we didn't want to make any t-shirts or print files or anything like that because we're just doing a web and an app and we just bought the web fonts we would not have any file to just install on our computer to make mock-ups with you know like we're not actually publishing any of these mock-ups anywhere but we like with the web font files that we download they're not great for you know throwing it using illustrator or sketch or whatever you're using to make mock-ups with you need the open type files and so it can be really frustrating for people to buy web fonts and be like oh i don't have anything to actually so even if you're only going to use it for the web you still have to buy the desktop version just, just so to have the freedom yeah to- yeah send it to the developer to say hey we want to use this font right and then uh so web fonts are usually like that base level some some base levels are those unlimited page views but they're usually the same price as a, a one user desktop license so sure. let's say 100 bucks is your your you know user for desktop uh then if you buy web fonts they'd be 100 bucks but if you're buying both together you get a discount on one of them so it'd just be 150 it's a half off type thing um but gotcha. app licenses those are usually 10 times. So we're talking a thousand bucks now. Um, if you need to use the, the, these fonts in an app, <laughs> which is a lot of money, but Hey, what's the difference between me viewing these fonts on a website on my phone or viewing them in an app on my phone? Um, the app is just straight up unlimited users viewing it, you know, which some mm-hmm. web font license are equal to that. And they're like, but the pricing of things is just so different. So I think it's, we're just in this really weird place right now with licensing, but that's, that's basically you have to buy. Um, and then you have these like, uh, licenses where if it's used in, uh, broadcasting, cause people is, I get why it happens. You know, I get why the, the licenses have been set up this way to protect type designers because, if a lot of people are seeing your typeface, then it's getting a lot of use. And so they're trying to price things in a way that respects the font. So it's like, okay, this this is on a broadcast on um, CNN and millions of people are seeing this. You shouldn't just be paid your you know base amount of things. Sure. Uh, you should be paid accordingly. Um, and some, I mean, like logo designers will do this of like, hey, if you're going to use this logo in different regions, if you're going to use it... Um, at a large scale, then it's costing more money. Sometimes that'll happen, you know? Um, right. So it's, I, so it's just value-based pricing in a different form. Yeah. Um, but it's just the, for the basic consumer, it's super confusing. And so like for those one-off scenarios, I get it. Um, but for those, for the ma- majority of people, it's just, yeah, it's confusing. Gotcha. So what would your solution be? 
Um, my solution would be an all-in-one thing. Like you buy it, you can use it for whatever you want. You just buy the right amount of people that are using it in your company. So you you buy it, you get unlimited web fonts, uh, and you get for one website. You know, you can't just go on every website, uh, and then right. unlimited uh, users for an app. But that app can be on is any any platforms, but it's just one app. So if you have a Windows app, you have an iPhone app, you have um, a desktop app. You know, like that that it would all be one app. Uh, you could use it within because even some places are serving up a web in an app, you know, a web, uh, you sure like, well, yeah, a lot of them are just yeah. websites that are served up through an app. And so that's technically yeah. web fonts that are getting served up through an app. So it's just, yeah, but that would be my solution is just, um, you buy it, you get it to use for those things. And I really wanted to do that to price it one for small businesses or people, you know, starting up, it makes it a lot easier. I don't have to keep track of all this stuff. I'm just buying the right amount for the people. And you'll have more people who, um, who are keen on buying upgrades when they need to, you know, like, Oh, Hey, we were, we only have two or three licenses for this. We should upgrade our license to get 10 now that we have 10 people here. Um, I've seen more people, uh, be smart about that and, and do it correctly. And so, um, yeah, that's where I would land, um, on, on the majority of, of my, of where licensing, I would, I would do it. So do you see other type designers wanting to go to that, that model? Um, I think you're seeing uh, a halfway there. Um, you're seeing Typekit. Uh, I love Typekit. That's a totally mm-hmm. different model in general, but they're also now selling, um, web fonts and desktop fonts as a package, right? Like you buy yes. this and you can use it. Um, which is really cool. Um, the Typekit marketplace or Typekit market, one of, one of the two things there. Uh, but they, they sell sure. those as a package, which is cool. Um, and so I would just be adding on apps into that. Cool. And they're, they're, they're also, I, I, my fonts are on Typekit to, so that was the other thing that I'm thinking through too, of like, it's easy for a designer to go use any of my typefaces if they have Photoshop or Illustrator CC, if they're subscribed, like they have mm-hmm. an automatic subscription to Typekit, um, which gives them uh, a web font license to use or uh, a desktop license, like in the sense of they can install it um, through Typekit onto their computer and they can mm-hmm. use those fonts. And that's like more of the subscription model, kind of like the Netflix of, of type selling, <laughs> um, which is really cool. And they've been super kind and you're seeing a lot of foundries who may be discouraged by the distributor way of things moved and still use um, Typekit, but they just sell through their site and, ty- and Typekit is a totally different model. So they'll um, publish through there too. And so uh, I, I, I love Typekit. It's been awesome. I totally didn't know that you were on Typekit, and I'm gonna have to go uh, just sync it all. Some of yours, sync it all. Yeah, <laughs> all of you sync them. I get paid per sync. You know, I'm just playing, but not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will go sync your fonts. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's another thing that I'm like, I don't want to compete with the simplicity. Like one, I love the simplicity of Typekit. Of like, oh, I need web fonts. I just sync them to my thing. Um, so with with future um, licensing with Fort. Um, potentially just going that route. It's like, okay, you can buy it for here for uh, a reasonable price or you can get it. Um, you'll play more in the long run through Typekit, but if you're not sure, that's going to be cheaper in the short run if you end up changing, sure. you know, things like that. So, Cool. Well, you know, kind of, we're getting kind of close to our time. Yes. We've, we've talked about the board game. We've talked about the type. Um, and we've talked about the board game 
that you've got coming out in February. Campy Creatures. Yeah. Campy Creatures. Yep, that's nice. the name. Josh Emrick is killing it on the design. I, we I hired saw him Josh out. put I saw Josh put some uh treatments up for that on Dribbleview. Yeah, yeah. It's been a fun I was wondering project what that was. for both sides of for both parties, I should say. Um I think it's fun for Josh because he we're like, dude, share it all. Like, cause I think most of the time he's under NDA and like can't share anything <laughs> until it's excited. either totally done or selected, you know? And so sure. it's been really cool to see him sharing stuff. Uh and then for us, yeah, we were like want to get it out as much as possible to get the word out on it. But he so we hired him out. Kyle is working on another game as an illustrator. I mean, we're both designers, but we really felt like he could nail the style of game. So it's like old school monster style you know you think of old uh b-movie horror posters swamp creature that sort of thing that vibe um and we felt like josh the campy yes hence the campy exactly uh and we felt like josh could really nail it and uh so we hired him out and kyle is working on another game so as a publisher you're like we're trying to figure out getting things in the hopper while also you know and so it was better for kyle to you know move forward on his game and focus all his efforts on that while I would focus on this with Josh for the next game um, and get it out a little quicker. Cool. Anything else in the pipe for you? In the pipe. Got two typefaces um, that are, are currently in the midst along with the new site. So like the new site um, should come out uh, early next year um, and that features my old site. It just doesn't have a lot of the functionality. Like it needs a type tester. I don't share a ton of the information of like how, what exact you know, letters are in each typeface. Most of the time people just buy them. They're like, oh, it has everything I need and more. Great. Um, but it'd be really helpful to know exactly. Um, so it has a lot of the functionality of, of being able to type out, write out words and see things um, to be able to, uh, yeah, just, just get all the info on a typeface a lot easier than my current site, um, which is just like, here's some cool specimens. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been huge. It's basically re- rebuilding things from the ground up and also thinking through um, that sort of licensing um, model of things. And so um, with that, uh, I want to release one, maybe two typefaces when it when it launches. That'll be exclusive awesome. on there. Um, so. so only on FortFoundry.com. Uh, yes, which is awesome. scary because it's, it's basically, <laughs> you know, relearning. I got to kick in that marketing stuff of like, okay. I was about to say, you finally put that degree to use. Right, I need to. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Cool. And where can people find you online? Yep. So you can follow uh, Fort Foundry on Twitter or Instagram um, or go to fortfoundry.com to check out the typefaces. You can go to Keymaster Games um, on Instagram or Twitter or keymastergames.com to check out the board game stuff. Um, and then if you just want to talk to me, it's Maddox Schuler, M-A-T-T-O-X-S-H-U-L-E-R on Twitter and all awesome. that good stuff. So, yeah. Perfect. So we end every podcast by saying go out and hug some mix. Heck yeah. Which is just a kind of way of saying go out, make friends, and say hello. Would you mind taking us out? Yeah. Go out and hug some necks. See you guys. Perfect. Maddox, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. See you, Jason. You can find out more about Maddox on Twitter at Maddox Schuler, And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA or over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. 
For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CreativeSouth. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks. Necks.